Nietzsche by Susan Warner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Abigail Rasmussen. Queechy Chapter One A Single Cloud on a Sunny Day, When All the Rest of Heaven is Clear. A frown upon the atmosphere that hath no business to appear when skies are blue and earth is gay. Brian Come, dear Grandpa, the old mare and the wagon are at the gate already. Well, dear, responded a cheerful, hearty voice, they must wait a bit. I haven't got my hat yet. Oh, I'll get it. And the little speaker, a girl of some ten or eleven years old, dashed past the old gentleman, and running along the narrow passage which led to his room, soon returned with the hat in her hand. "'Yes, dear, but that ain't all. I must put on my great coat. And I must look and see if I can find any money. Oh, yes, for the post office. It's a beautiful day, Grandpa. Cynthia, won't you come and help Grandpa on with his great coat? And I'll go out and keep watch of the old mare till you're ready.' A needless caution, for the old mare, though spirited enough for her years, had seen some fourteen or fifteen of them, and was in no sort of danger of running away. She stood in what was called the back meadow, just without the little paling fence that enclosed a small courtyard round the house. Around this courtyard, rich pasture fields lay on every side, the high road cutting through them, not more than a hundred or two feet from the house. The little girl planted herself on the outside of the paling, and setting her back to it, eyed the old mare with great contentment, for, besides other grounds for security as to her quiet behavior, one of the men employed about the farm, who had harnessed the equipage, was at the moment busied in putting some clean straw in the bottom of the vehicle. "'Watkins,' said the child presently to this person, here is a strap that is just ready to come unbuckled. What do you know about straps and buckles? said the man, rather grumly. But he came round, however, to see what she meant, and while he drew the one and fastened the other, took special good care not to let Fleda know that her watchful eyes had probably saved the whole riding party from ruin, as the losing of the strap would of necessity have brought on a trial of the old mare's nerves, which not all her philosophy could have been expected to meet. Fleda was satisfied to see the buckle made fast, and that Watkins, roused by her hint, or by the cause of it, afterwards took a somewhat careful look over the whole establishment. In high glee, then, she climbed to her seat in the little wagon, and her grandfather coming out coated and hatted, with some difficulty mounted to his place beside her. "'I think Watkins might have taken the trouble to wash the wagon without hurting himself,' said Fleda. "'It is all specked with mud since last time.' "'Hadn't he washed it?' said the old gentleman, in a tone of displeasure. "'Watkins!' "'Well, why didn't you wash the old wagon as I told you?' "'I did.' "'It's all over slosh.' "'That's Mr. Diddenhover's work.' He had it out day for yesterday, and if you want it cleaned, Mr. Ringan, you must speak to him about it. 
Mr. Diddenhover may file his own doings. It's more than I'm a-going to. The old gentleman made no answer, except to acquaint the mare with the fact of his being in readiness to set out. A shade of annoyance and displeasure for a moment was upon his face, but the gate opening from the meadow upon the high road had hardly swung back upon its hinges after letting them out when he recovered the calm sweetness of demeanour that was habitual with him, and seemed as well as his little granddaughter to have given care the go-by for the time. Fleda had before this found out another fault in the harness, or rather in Mr. Diddenhover, which, like a wise little child, she kept to herself. A broken place which her grandfather had ordered to be properly mended was still tied up with a piece of rope which had offended her eyes the last time they had driven out. But she said not a word of it, because it would only worry Grandpa for nothing, and forgetting it almost immediately, she moved on with him in a state of joyous happiness that no mud-stained wagon nor untidy rope-bound harness could stir for an instant. Her spirit was like a clear, still-running stream, which quietly and surely deposits every defiling and obscuring admixture it may receive from its contact with the grosser elements around. The stream might for a moment be clouded, but a little while and it would run as clear as ever. Neither Fleda nor her grandfather cared a jot for the want of elegancies, which one despised, and the other, if she had ever known, had well-nigh forgotten. What mattered it to her that the little old green wagon was rusty and worn, or that years and service had robbed the old mare of all the jauntiness she had ever possessed, so long as the sun shone and the birds sang, and Mr. Ringan, in any imaginary comparison, might be pardoned for thinking that he was the proud man, and that his poor little equipage carried such a treasure as many a coach and four went without. "'Where are we going first, Grandpa? To the post-office?' "'Just there. How pleasant it is to go there always, isn't it, Grandpa? You have the paper to get, and I—I I don't very often get a letter.' "'but I have always the hope of getting one, and that's something. "'Maybe I'll have one today, Grandpa?' "'We'll see. It's time those cousins of yours wrote to you.' "'Oh, they don't write to me. It's only Aunt Lucy. "'I never had a letter from a single one of them except one from little Hugh. "'Don't you remember, Grandpa? "'I should think he must be a very nice little boy, shouldn't you?' "'Little boy? Why, I guess he is about as big as you are, Fleda. "'He is eleven years old, ain't he?' "'Yes, but I am past eleven, you know, Grandpa, and I am a little girl.' This reasoning being unanswerable, Mr. Ringan only bade the old mare trot on. It was a pleasant day in autumn. Fleda thought it particularly pleasant for riding, for the sun was veiled with thin, hazy clouds. The air was mild and still, and the woods, like brave men, putting the best face upon falling fortunes. Some trees were already dropping their leaves, the greater part standing in all the varied splendor which the late frost had given them. The road, an excellent one, sloped gently up and down across a wide arable country, in a state of high cultivation, and now showing all the rich variety of autumn. The reddish buckwheat patches and fine wood tints of the fields, where other grain had been, the bright green of young rye or winter wheat, 
then soberer colored pasture or meadow lands, and ever and anon a tuft of gay woods crowning a rising ground, or a knot of the everlasting pines looking sedately and steadfastly upon the fleeting glories of the world around them. These were mingled and interchanged and succeeded each other in ever-varying fresh combinations. With its high picturesque beauty, the whole scene had a look of thrift and plenty and promise, which made it eminently cheerful. So Mr. Ringan and his little granddaughter both felt it to be. For some distance, the grounds on either hand the road were part of the old gentleman's farm, and many a remark was exchanged between him and Fleda as to the excellence or hopefulness of this or that crop or piece of soil. Fleda, entering into all his enthusiasm and reasoning of clover lays and cockle and the proper harvesting of Indian corn and other like matters, with no lack of interest or intelligence. "'Oh, Grandpa!' she exclaimed suddenly. "'Won't you stop a minute and let me get out? "'I want to get some of that beautiful bittersweet.' "'What do you want that for?' said he. "'You can't get out very well.' "'Oh, yes, I can. Please, Grandpa. "'I want some of it very much. Just one minute.' He stopped, and Fleda got out and went to the roadside, where a bittersweet vine had climbed into a young pine tree and hung it as it were with red coral. But her one minute was at least four before she had succeeded in breaking off as much as she could carry of the splendid creeper, for not until then could Fleda persuade herself to leave it. She came back and worked her way up into the wagon, with one hand full as it could hold of her brilliant trophies. "'Now what good'll that do you?' inquired Mr. Rinkin good-humouredly, as he lent Fleda what help he could to her seat. "'Why, Grandpa, I wanted to put with cedar and pine in a jar at home. It will keep for ever so long and look beautiful. Isn't that handsome? Only it was a pity to break it.' "'Why, yes, it's handsome enough,' said Mr. Rinkin. "'But you've got something just by the front door there at home that would do just as well—what do you call it—that naming thing there?' "'What? My burning bush? Oh, Grandpa, I wouldn't cut that for anything in the world. It's the only pretty thing about the house, and besides,' said Fleda, looking up with a softened mien, "'you said that it was planted by my mother. Oh, Grandpa, I wouldn't cut that for anything.' Mr. Rinkin laughed a pleased laugh. "'Well, dear,' said he, "'it shall grow till it's as big as the house if it will.' "'It won't do that,' said Fleda. "'But I am very glad I have got this bittersweet. "'This is just what I wanted. "'Now, if I can only find some holly.' "'We'll come across some, I guess, by and by,' said Mr. Ringan. "'And Fleda settled herself again to enjoy the trees, "'the fields, the roads, and all the small handiwork of nature, "'for which her eyes had a curious intelligence. "'But this was not fated to be a ride of unbroken pleasure. "'Why, what are those bars down for?' she said, as they came up with a field of winter grain. "'Somebody's been in here with a wagon. Oh, Grandpa, Mr. Diddenhover has let the Shakers have my butternuts, the butternuts that you told him they mustn't have.' The old gentleman drew up his horse. "'So he has,' said he. Their eyes were upon the far end of the deep lot, where at the edge of one of the pieces of woodland spoken of, a picturesque group of men and boys in frocks and broad-brimmed white hats were busied in filling their wagon under a clump of now thin and yellow-leaved butternut trees. 
the scoundrel said mr ringgan under his breath would it be any use grandpa for me to jump down and run and tell them you don't want them to take the butternuts i shall have so few no dear no said her grandfather they have got em about all by this time the mischief's done didn't hover meant to let em have em unknown to me and pocket the pay himself get up fleda drew a long breath and gave a hard look at the distant wagon where her butternuts were going in by handfuls she said no more it was but a few fields further on that the old gentleman came to a sudden stop again ain't there some of my sheep over yonder there fleda along with squire thornton's i don't know grandpa said fleda i can't see yes i do see yes they are grandpa i see the mark i thought so said mr ringgan bitterly i told didenhover only three days ago that if he didn't make up that fence the sheep would be out or squire thornton's would be in only three days ago oh well he said shaking the reins to make the mare move on again it's all of a piece everything goes i can't help it why do you keep him grandpa if you don't behave right fleda ventured to ask gently cause i can't get rid of him dear mr ringgan answered rather shortly until they got to the post-office he seemed in a disagreeable kind of muse which fleda did not choose to break in upon so the mile and a half was driven in sober silence shall i get out and go in grandpa said fleda when he drew up before the house no dearie he said in his usual kind tone you sit still hulloa there good day mr sampion have you got anything for me the man disappeared and came out again there's your paper grandpa said fleda ah and something else said mr ringgan i declare miss fleda ringgan care of e ringgan esq there dear there it is paris exclaimed fleda as she clasped the letter and both her hands together the butternuts and mr didenhover were forgotten at last the letter could not be read in the jolting of the wagon but as fleda said it was all the pleasanter for she had the expectation of it the whole way home where are we going now grandpa to queechy run that will give us a nice long ride i am very glad this has been a good day with my letter and my bittersweet i have got enough haven't i grandpa queechy run was a little village a very little village about a half a mile from mr ringgan's house it boasted however a decent brick church of some size a schoolhouse a lawyer's office a grocery store a dozen or two of dwelling houses and a post office though for some reason or other mr ringgan always chose to have his letters come through the slattersville post office a mile and a half further off at the door of the lawyer's office mr ringgan again stopped and again shouted hulloa good day sir is mr jolly within he is sir will you ask him to be so good as to step here a moment i cannot very well get out mr jolly was a comfortable-looking little man smooth and sleek pleasant and plausible reasonably honest too as the world goes a nice man to have to do with the world went so easy with his affairs that you were sure he would make no unnecessary rubs in your own he came now fresh and brisk to the side of the wagon with that uncommon hilarity which people sometimes assume when they have a disagreeable matter on hand that must be spoken of good morning sir fine day mr jolly 
"'Beautiful day, sir. Splendid season. How do you do, Mr. Ringan?' "'Why, sir, I never was better in my life. Barring this lameness, that disables me very much. I can't go about and see to things any more as I used to. However, we must expect evils at my time of life. I don't complain. I have a great deal to be thankful for.' "'Yes, sir, we have a great deal to be thankful for.' said Mr. Jolly, rather abstractedly, and patting the old mare with kind attention. "'Have you seen that fellow, McGowan?' said Mr. Ringan abruptly, and in a lower tone. "'I have seen him,' said Mr. Jolly, coming back from the old mare to business. "'He's a hard customer, I guess, ain't he?' "'He's as ugly a cur as ever was whelped.' "'What does he say?' "'Says he must leave it.' "'Did you tell him what I told you?' I told him, sir, that you had not got the returns from your farm that you expected this year, owing to one thing and another, and that you couldn't make up the cash for him all at once, and that he would have to wait a spell, but that he'd be sure to get it in the long run. Nobody ever suffered by Mr. Ringan yet, as I told him. Well? Well, sir, he was altogether refractable. He's as pig-headed a fellow as I ever see. What did he say? He gave me names and swore he wouldn't wait a day longer, said he'd waited already six months. He has so. I couldn't meet the last payment. There's a year's rent due now. I can't help it. There needn't have been an hour if I could go about and attend to things myself. I have been altogether disappointed in that Didenhover. I expect you have. What do you suppose he'll do, Mr. Jolly? McGowan, I mean. "'I expect he'll do what the law'll let him, Mr. Ringan. "'I don't know what'll hinder him.' "'It's a worse turn than I thought my infirmities would ever play me,' "'said the old gentleman, after a short pause. First to lose the property altogether, "'and then not to be permitted to wear out "'what is left of life in the old place. "'There won't be much.' "'So I told him, Mr. Ringan. "'I put it to him,' says I. "'Mr. McGowan, it's a cruel hard business. "'There ain't a man in town that wouldn't leave Mr. Ringan "'the shelter of his own roof as long as he wants any, "'and think it a pleasure, if the rent was anyhow.' "'Well, well,' said the old gentleman, "'with a mixture of dignity and bitterness. "'It doesn't much matter. "'My head will find a shelter somehow, above ground or under it. "'The Lord will provide. "'Phew! Stand still, can't ye? "'What ails the fool?' The creature's seen years enough to be steady, he added, with a miserable attempt at his usual cheerful laugh. Fleda had turned away her head, and tried not to hear when the lowered tones of the speaker seemed to say that she was one too many in the company. But she could not help catching a few bits of the conversation, and a few bits were generally enough for Fleda's wit to work upon. She had a singular knack at putting loose ends of talk together, if more had been wanting, the tones of her grandfather's voice would have filled up every gap in the meaning of the scattered words that came to her ear. Her heart sank fast as the dialogue went on, and she needed no commentary or explanation to interpret the bitter little laugh with which it closed. It was a chill upon all the rosy joys and hopes of a most joyful, unhopeful little nature. The old mare was in motion again, but Fleda no longer cared or had the curiosity to ask where they were going. The bittersweet lay listlessly in her lap. Her letter, clasped to her breast, was not thought of, and tears were quietly running one after the other down her cheeks and falling on her sleeve. She dared not lift her handkerchief, nor turn her face towards her grandfather, lest they should catch his eye. Her grandfather, 
Could it be possible that he must be turned out of his old home in his old age? Could it be possible? Mr. Jolly seemed to think it might be, and her grandfather seemed to think it must. Leave the old house. But where would he go? Son or daughter, he had none left. Resources he could have none, or this need not happen. Work he could not. Be dependent upon the charity of any kin or friend, she knew he would never. She remembered hearing him once say he could better bear to go to the almshouse than do any such thing. And then, if they went, he would have his pleasant room no more where the sun shone in so cheerfully, and they must leave the dear old kitchen where they had been so happy, and the meadows and hills would belong to somebody else, and she would gather her stores of buttercups and chestnuts under the loved old trees never again. But these things were nothing, though the image of them made the tears come hot and fast. These were nothing in her mind to the knowledge or the dread of the effect the change would have upon Mr. Ringan. Fleda knew him, and knew it would not be slight. Wider his head could not be, more bowed it well might, and her own bowed in anticipation as her childish fears and imaginings ran on into the possible future. Of McGowan's tender mercies she had no hope. She had seen him once, and being unconsciously even more of a physiognomist than most children are, that one side of him was enough to verify all Mr. Jolly had said. The remembrance of his hard, sinister face sealed her fears. Nothing but evil could come of having to do with such a man. It was, however, still not so much any foreboding of the future that moved Fleda's tears as the sense of her grandfather's present pain, the quick answer of her gentle nature to every sorrow that touched him. His griefs were doubly hers, both from his openness of character and her penetration. They could rarely be felt unshared, and she shared them always in more than due measure. In beautiful harmony, while the child had forgotten herself in keen sympathy with her grandfather's sorrows, he, on the other hand, had lost sight of them in caring for her. Again, and this time not before any house, but in a wild piece of woodland, the little wagon came to a stop. "'Ain't there some holly berries that I see yonder?' said Mr. Ringan. "'There, through those white birch stems. That's what you were wanting, Fleda, ain't it? Give your bittersweet to me while you go get some. And here, take this knife, dear. You can't break it. Don't cut yourself.' Fleda's eyes were too dim to see white birch or holly, and she had no longer the least desire to have the latter. But with that infallible tact, which assuredly is the gift of nature and no other, she answered in a voice that she forced to be clear, "'Oh, yes, thank you, Grandpa,' and stealthily dashing away the tears, clambered down from the rickety little wagon, and plunged with a cheerful step, at least, through trees and underbrush to the clump of holly." but if anybody had seen Fleda's face. While she seemed to be busied in cutting as large a quantity as possible of the rich, shining leaves and bright berries, her grandfather's kindness and her effort to meet it had wrung her heart. She hardly knew what she was doing as she cut off sprig after sprig and threw them down at her feet. She was crying sadly, with even audible sobs. She made a long job of her bunch of holly, but when at last it must come to an end, she choked back her tears 
smoothed her face, and came back to Mr. Ringan, smiling and springing over the stones and shrubs in her way, and exclaiming at the beauty of her vegetable stores. If her cheeks were red, he thought it was the flush of pleasure and exercise, and she did not let him get a good look at her eyes. "'Why, you've got enough to dress up the front-room chimney,' said he. "'That'll be the best thing you can do with them, won't it?' "'The front-room chimney? No, indeed, I won't, Grandpa. I don't want them where nobody can see them, and you know we are never in there now it is cold weather.' "'Well, dear, anyhow you like to have it. But you haven't a jar in the house big enough for them, have you?' "'Oh, I'll manage. I've got an old broken pitcher without a handle, Grandpa. That'll do very well.' "'A broken pitcher. That isn't a very elegant vase,' said he. "'Oh, you wouldn't know it is a pitcher when I have fixed it. "'I'll cover up all the broken part with green, you know. "'Are we going home now, Grandpa?' "'No, I want to stop a minute at Uncle Joshua's.' "'Uncle Joshua was a brother-in-law of Mr. Ringan, "'a substantial farmer, and very well-to-do in the world. "'He was found not in the house, but abroad in the field with his men.' "'loading an enormous basket-wagon with corn-stalks. "'At Mr. Ringan's shout, he got over the fence and came to the wagon-side. "'His face showed sense and shrewdness, "'but nothing of the open nobility of mien "'which nature had stamped upon that of his brother. "'Fine morning, eh?' said he. "'I'm getting in my corn-stalks.' "'So I see,' said Mr. Ringan. "'How do you find the new way of curing them answer?' "'Fine as ever you see, sweet as a nut.' "'The cattle are mad after them. "'How are you going to be off for fodder this winter?' "'It's more than I can tell you,' said Mr. Ringan. "'There ought to be more than plenty, "'but Diddenhover contrives to bring everything out at the wrong end. "'I wish I was rid of him.' "'He'll never get a berth with me, I can tell you,' said Uncle Joshua, laughing. "'Brother,' said Mr. Ringan, lowering his tone again, "'have you any loose cash you could let me have for six months or so?' Uncle Joshua took a meditative look down the road, turned a quid of tobacco in his cheek, and finally brought his eyes again to Mr. Ringan, and answered, "'Well, I don't see as I can,' said he. "'You see, Josh is just a-goin' to set up for himself at Kenton, and he'll want some help of me, and I expect that I'll be about as much as I can manage to lay my hands on.' "'Do you know who has any that he would be likely to lend?' said Mr. Ringan. "'No, I don't.' "'Money is rather scarce. "'For your rent, eh? "'Yes, for my rent. "'The farm brings me in nothing but my living. "'That Diddenhover is ruining me, Brother Joshua. "'He's feathering his own nest, I reckon. "'You may swear to that. "'There wasn't as many bushels of grain by one-fourth "'when they were threshed out last year as I had calculated "'there would be in the field. "'I don't know what on earth he could have done with it. "'I suppose it'll be the same thing over this year.' "'Maybe he has served you as Deacon Travis was served by one of his help last season. "'The rascal bored holes in the granary floor and let out the corn so, "'and Travis couldn't contrive how his grain went till the floor was empty next spring, "'and then he see how it was.' "'Ha! Huh, did he catch the fellow?' "'Not he. He made tracks before that. "'A word in your ear. I wouldn't let Diddenhover see much of his salary "'till you know how he will come out at the end.' "'He has got it already,' said Mr. Rengan, with a nervous twitch at the old mare's head. "'He wheedled me out of several little sums on one pretense and another. "'He had a brother in New York that he wanted to send some to, "'and goods that he wanted to get out of pawn, and so on. "'And I let him have it. 
Then there was one of those fatting steers that he proposed to me to let him have on account, and I thought it was as good a way of paying him as any, and that made up pretty near the half of what was due to him. I warrant you his'n was the fattest of the whole lot. Well, keep a tight hold of the other half, Brother Elzevir. That's my advice to you. The other half he was to make upon shares. Phew, I, well, I wish you well rid of him, and don't make such another bargain again. Good day to ye. It was with a keen pain that little Fleda saw the downhearted look of her grandfather, as again he paid the old mare notice to move on. A few minutes passed in deep thought on both sides. Grandpa, said Fleda, wouldn't Mr. Jolly perhaps know of somebody that might have some money to lend? I declare, said the old gentleman after a moment, that's not a bad thought. I wonder I didn't have it myself. They turned about, and without any more words, measured back their way to Queechy Run. Mr. Jolly came out again, brisk and alert as ever, but after seeming to rack his brains in search of any actual or possible money-lender, was obliged to confess that it was in vain. He could not think of one. But I'll tell you what, Mr. Rinkin, he concluded, I'll turn it over in my mind to-night and see if I can think of anything that'll do, and if I can, I'll let you know. If we hadn't such another millstone to deal with, it would be easy enough to work it somehow. So they set forth homewards again. Cheer up, dear, said the old gentleman heartily, laying one hand on his little granddaughter's lap. It will be arranged somehow. Don't you worry your little head with business. God will take care of us. Yes, Grandpa, said the little girl, looking up with an instant sense of relief at these words, and then looking down again immediately to burst into tears. End of chapter 1